0: were here last week, you know, we talked about strongholds and, um, the thing with strongholds, the thing, the thing that makes, uh, the the effect on our lives is that, um, we start to believe that we are not worthy of God's love. And more importantly, or or, or just as importantly, we start to believe that we cannot do anything for the kingdom. We cannot do anything for God because we have too many problems on our own. And so, um, I just want to talk a little bit about that tonight. And, uh, and, and kind of what happened uh, Wednesday is we, we always have a, a time um, in our staff meeting with our student ministry staff, uh, Cole, Allison, and I, and my mom. And, and we, we kind of look at the prayer requests of you guys. We pray over them. We pray over you guys Wednesday mornings at, uh, at, at 11 a.m. And we're just praying for you um, and for Jesus and for God and the Holy Spirit to work in you and through you. Um, and, and as I read <clears throat> through... Um, the strongholds and pray through the strongholds, um, I want you to know, first of all, I'm, I'm so proud of you guys for, for putting a name to it, and, and more importantly, for um, putting details to it. Because what Satan wants you to do is, Satan wants you to put these down and just say, pride. Just say pride. You know, just a little bit of, a little bit of lust. And what, what God wants you to do is he wants you to call it by name. He wants you to call it what it is. You have an addiction to pornography. You're doing things with your boyfriend and girlfriend you shouldn't be. You're addicted to certain substances. You're saying things you shouldn't say. You're, you're addicted to approval. Whatever it is, he wants you to be specific about it. And I want to thank you guys for being specific about it. And I also want to let you know that that is the step towards, um, towards change and towards repentance. You can't uh, repent of something that you don't admit. Uh, is wrong and so um, what I want to say is that they were heavy things and, and it is some things um, kind of that I feel like many of you are going to want to um, hide and, and keep pushing down but I want to I just want to invite you um, to not end at writing it on a piece of paper and leaving it at the stage I want you to continue to address these strongholds they don't just go away overnight they don't go away because you can and set at the altar they go away because we continually um, look to God uh, for guidance and uh, we continually join together through our life groups, our life group leaders, um, and just loving on each other so that we are able um, <clears throat> to change slowly and sharpen each other as iron sharpens iron. And so I just want you to know on, on on my behalf, at least for what I'm concerned with, is that I'm available to you guys. I'm here for you. And sometimes you might think, well I'm not you're the last person I'm gonna tell my problems. I can promise. promise you this. I am I am here to listen. If you want to come to the office, if you want to meet for lunch, if you want to text me, whatever you want to do, I'm here to listen. Your life group believers are here to listen. They want to talk to you. And I think you'll find that you get far less judgment and condemnation when you go to somebody and you and you just admit what's going on and you're kind of broken about it than, than people just hearing about it um, kind of through the grapevine and on social media and all that kind of stuff. And a lot of times we think, well, that's the last thing I'm going to do is admit to somebody. But I think God has called us... Um, To do that and to uh, admit and confess to each other and to God um, what is going on in our lives. So I just want want to encourage you with that. Whatever the stronghold is, go to somebody. Continue to work on it. Don't pretend that it's just gone or push it away. Um, But what Satan wants to do with those strongholds and how it kind of relates to tonight is that Satan wants to uh, make you feel so crappy and so weak and so messed up and so consumed with your sin that you cannot affect anybody else. What he wants to do is he wants you um, to chase after the things of this world so much, the crap of this world, the fake, uh, just like, fulfillments of this world, so much that you cannot focus on him. You cannot focus on anyone else. He wants you to think your sin makes you unworthy to share the gospel. He wants to make you be just consumed with yourself. And you think, well, it's not selfish to be consumed with my sin, but it is. Because Jesus has died for your sin, He's already made a way for your sin. He has gotten rid of your sin if you are in Him. And so, for us to just dwell on it and for us to try to make it better ourselves does nothing. All it does is keep us kind of locked up in those strongholds. And so, in Ephesians chapter five, Paul is writing um, writing a letter uh, about uh, this idea. This idea that like um, you can be so messed up um, that you cannot make a difference. For the kingdom, and, and this was a guy who killed people. This was a guy who was involved with death. This was a guy who, who hurt people that that were that were Christians, and and so this was a guy who knew about messing up, and yet he made one of the greatest impacts for the kingdom that we see in history. And so um, it's not going to be in your Bibles. I'm just going to put it up on the screen. It's Ephesians five, eleven through seventeen. The reason is I'm going to show you uh, the version from the message, and you don't have that in your Bible. You have NIV, and that's cool. But I just wanted to read to you out of the message tonight because. Um, I love the way that this translation uh, gives us kind of the heart of this scripture. So just look up at the screen, verses 11 through 16 of chapter 5, or 11 through 17 of chapter 5 of Ephesians. It says this, don't waste your time on useless work, mere busy work, the barren pursuits of darkness. So don't just waste your time chasing after the things of this world. Expose these things to the sham they are. It's a scandal. Listen, it's a scandal. It's a trick. It is a trap where people waste their lives on things they must do in the darkness where no one will see. Have you ever thought about most of the sins, most of the strongholds, they stay in the darkness. We keep them in the darkness. We don't want people to know about it. We do them at night. We do them on the weekends. We do them behind closed doors because they are, 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 are not good. And we know they're not good. We know they're deep in our hearts. And it's just kind of like an empty pursuit that it's something that isn't right. And so we hide behind doors. And Paul's saying this. It's a scandal that people waste their lives on this crap, this junk that is just messing them up. And he says this, rip the cover off those frauds and see how attractive they look in the light of Christ. Paul's getting pretty like agitated with this stuff, and he's getting pretty aggressive. He's like, rip it off and see what it looks like when you put it next to the cross, when you put it next to Jesus, because it is a joke. It is nasty. It is darkness. And when you look at it compared to Jesus, we see how it is. That's why when we go to a mission trips, when we go to retreats, when we go to church, We we kind of like have this feeling of like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I did that last night. I can't believe I I would I would do that last week. And it's not it's not because God's trying to make us feel guilty. It's just the truth. And when we look at Jesus and His life, and we look at the darkness of our deeds, there's a big difference. There's a big gap in it, and it kind of scares us. And that's on purpose. Paul continues. He says, "Wake up from your sleep. Climb out of your coffins. Listen, that climb out of your coffins. What do you do when you're in a coffin?" You do nothing. You're dead. You are doing nothing. You sit in the coffin and you rot away. He says, climb out of your deadness. Climb out of your death and your old ways. Christ will show you the light. And then he continues, so watch your step. Use your head. What he's saying is, as you go, be careful. And then he says this, make the most of every chance you get. For these are desperate times. Make the most of. Of every chance you get, for these are desperate times. And then he finishes with this: Don't live carelessly, unthinkingly. A lot of us live this life where we just kind of like are on cruise control, and we're like, "Oh, I'll get to that later. You know, I'll, I'll kind of settle down once, you know, once I I get married and I have a certain amount of money, then I can make a difference. Then I can do something for the kingdom. But for now, I'm just going to kind of float from thing to thing. Oh, there's something nice. Let me kind of go over to that. No, oh, there's something now. Nice. I said, oh, well, there's a retreat. I'll go to that. I'll go to Jesus for a second, but now I'm going to float right back to this. And we kind of just, just kind of float through life on cruise control. And Paul says, don't live carelessly and unthinkingly. Make sure you understand what the master, that is, Jesus, wants. And so here's what I want you to write in your notes if you're taking notes. Don't waste your life. Make the most of it. For God. Don't waste your life. Make the most of it. For God. Don't waste your life. Make the most of it for God. Turn to your neighbor and say, Don't waste your life. Waste your life. Turn to your other neighbor and say, Don't waste, Don't waste your life. Paul is telling us, Paul is telling us in Ephesians, he says, Don't waste your life. Make the most of it for God. And this is what this is what Paul's saying. It doesn't require you to be perfect. That's what Satan wants us to think. He wants us to think, Oh, you messed up, you got that stronghold that you put up on the altar. And you went back to it this past week. Uh, yeah, yeah. You're done. You can't. You can't make a difference for the kingdom. But Paul is saying you don't have to be perfect. You just have to be careful. Paul says it's about um, it's about just continuing, not quitting, and not feeling like you are unworthy. To spread the gospel. Just don't quit. Just keep getting up. You mess up, get right back up and keep going. You mess up, get right back up, and keep going. That's the story of the Bible. If you look at anybody that did a major thing for God in the Bible, they got it from something and they continued on. Paul's also saying this, you don't have to know everything, or have great talent, or be able to preach, or go all over the world to make a difference. You just have to know one thing. And in fact, in the, in the book of 1 um, in, in Corinthians, uh, Paul has this famous verse where he says, um, When I was among you, I aimed to know one thing. I, and think about this. I want you to think about this. Paul was very well educated. Paul knew everything. He had memorized the Torah. He was, he was like he knew his stuff. And what he says is so profound. He says this, I resolve to only know one thing among you, and that is Jesus Christ and him crucified. He said, "All the other stuff is junk. I don't need to know it. It doesn't matter. I need to know one thing when I'm among you: it's Jesus Christ and Him crucified." And so many of you feel like, "Well, I don't know no scripture. I can't get up there and preach. I can't do a rise up. I haven't been going to church long enough." Here's all you got to do: if you know Jesus and you know the truth of the gospel and you've experienced that, then you can make a difference. You only need to know one thing and one thing well. And I'm going to close with this. I'm going to close with this kind of short. story from, uh, from the Old Testament, and then we're going to bring up a friend um, to kind of talk to you about this subject, but um, there's a guy named Samson in the Old Testament, and, and, and before uh, there were kings, before King David, before King Saul, before King Solomon, uh, but after Moses and Joshua, there was this kind of dead zone, this wild, wild west of Israel, where they were like a kingdom, but they had no ruler. And they would go to God, and they'd go away from God. they go to God, and they'd go away from God. they mess up, and then they'd come back to Him. And during this time, they would beg God, save us. Give us somebody to save us. We need a leader. And so God would send these superhero-type guys, these these spirit-filled warriors and leaders and and motivators, and the book of Judges describes these. These guys were called judges. These guys and girls were called judges. And so the judges would come, and they might lead for 10, 20, 30 years. And so one of them is named Samson, and he's probably the most famous uh, judge um, from the Old Testament, from the book of Judges. And his account is from Judges 13 through 16. What happens with Samson is um, he has a mom, and it's kind of like the whole, the whole deal with, uh, um, with Abraham and Sarah. She can't have a kid. She's old. She, she hasn't been able to have a kid. She doesn't think she's ever going to have a kid. And an angel visits her and says, you're going to have a kid. I want you to set him apart. He's gonna be a he is going to be um, a Nazarite. He's going to be a mighty warrior, and he's going to begin the delivery from the Philistines. The Philistines and the Israelites were like enemies. They are like bloods and crypts. They hated each other, and it was a long deal. Like They were, they were enemies over the long haul. And so they had been under Philistine rule for 40 years when Samson is born. So Samson grows up, and he's kind of like John the Baptist. He wasn't supposed to cut his hair. He wasn't supposed to drink wine. He was kind of supposed to live a life set apart, set apart for God. And here's the thing about Samson. He was stupid. He was like up here. There wasn't much going on. Samson was like massive. You, you guys all know, like the meatheads. You've seen them around, like uh, you, you know the guys that have a lot of ability, a lot of strength, but they don't have much going on upstairs, and that's just not their gift. That was Samson. That wasn't his gift. He wasn't smart. He wasn't very good um, at motivating people. He wasn't a good leader, but he was strong, and he could kill some people. That was basically his talent. Like he was, a, he was an assassin. He was like a cold-blooded killer. And so. Um, He was grown up to be a a warrior for Israel to defeat the Philistines. And here was the problem. The problem was Samson had a stronghold. Like many of you, like all of you, like all of us, he had a stronghold. And his stronghold was lust. His stronghold was women. And I want to just kind of give you just this encouragement. As we looked at about 200 cards of strongholds, do you know how many were the same? I would say 80 or 90% of you had the same five or six strongholds. And I want you to know that for a reason. The reason why I want you to know that is because you think that you're the only one. Satan wants you to think you're the only one that struggles with this. You're the only one that's messed up. You're the only one that's done this and gotten that far down. And it's not true. And it's not true. We have all done some stupid things. We all deal with some similar strongholds, and many of you are dealing with a stronghold of lust, and it is destroying many of your lives. This is why we talk about it. This is why we talk about sex. This is why we talk about what God wants for you in the area of sex, because it can destroy lives and relationships. But anyway, Samson is dealing with this, and he would would do some awesome things. He killed a lion. He ripped it limb from limb with his bare hands, and, and then he went and slept with a prostitute. And then he would go and marry some lady um, from the Philistines. So like he would marry somebody from like the enemy gang or the rival gang. And he just kept doing stupid things. And he would he would say stupid things and he would tell secrets. And he, he he just did all this messed up stuff, and he would continually find himself in these bad situations. People he loved died because he made stupid decisions. Over and over again, he does just ridiculous things. But here's here's what ends up happening. At the end of his life, He has made just a wreck of his life. This guy who was set apart to have all this talent, all this ability, all of this power has made himself into a prisoner. He's wasted. He has wasted his life away. He finds himself in a prison, working as kind of like a slave, just slaving away, using that strength for nothing. He finds himself with his eyes gouged out by the Philistines, and he is hopeless. He is in a, a terrible way. What he has done is he's basically wasted what God gave him. He's wasted his life. And what many of us would do in this situation is we would say, oh, well, good try. I, I, guess, I yes. guess I guess, guess I I just made, made too many mistakes. I'm done. I'm just going to live out my life and I'm going to die. And then, you know, I, I'm hopeless. I, I'm <coughs> but Samson did something. Samson did something very, very important that all of us can do. He said, I'm not going to waste my life. I'm not going to just waste away my days here. I'm going to make a difference. And so there's this this account, I'm just going to tell you quickly. He goes out in the middle of this temple. There's 3,000 people just on the roof. The entire Philistine government is in this building with him, and they bring him out to be like a circus sideshow because he's all strong, and he comes out, and he does all these tricks for him like a monkey, and they're laughing at him, and they're calling down insults on his, his, his people, on the Israelites, on God, and he's standing there in the middle, and he says, hey, hey can you lean me? He can't see. Remember, his eyes are got you out. He, lean, he says, lean me up against a pillar. So he leans up against a pillar, and he does something very important in Judges 16. He says to God, one last time, God, I've made a mess of my life. I have made a mess of my life. I've messed up continually. I've wasted away my talent and my gifts. But I want one chance. You give me the strength one time, and I'm going to do something mighty for your kingdom. I'm going to do something mighty for the people of Israel. I'm going to do something mighty to beat the Philistines. He said, it's by your power, not my own power. I've got nothing left. I want you to give me the power one more time to bring down this people group, to bring down the Philistines. And he he, he knew what was going to happen if he did it. He was going to die, too. And he was willing to give up his life. And what ends up happening is he summons the strength of God, the spirit of God, to take over him one more time. And as a conqueror, as a warrior, that's what he was made to be. He ends his life not wasting it but making the most of the days that were left. And he pushes down the pillars. He uses his godlike strength to push down the pillars. Brings the roof caving in. And it says that at that moment he killed more people and did a greater thing for Israel than he had done the rest of his life Combined, he had done some crazy, crazy stuff. And here is the point. Here is the point. In the end, he ends up serving God in death. And this is what I want you to get from it. Don't let your past mistakes limit your future potential. Don't let your past mistakes limit your future potential. Satan wants you to think your strongholds are too much, you're too messed up, you cannot do anything with the rest of your life. Guess what? You're all between the ages of 12 and 18 if you're a student in the end here. You have at, at least 50 or 60 years left in your life. You have the majority of your life. And so to think that something you do in high school or middle school can limit your potential for the rest of your life is only a lie of Satan. It is a trick from the end and He wants you to just give up. But I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you to not let your past mistakes limit your your future potential Be like Samson And that even if you make mistakes Even if you mess up Be like Paul Even if you make mistakes Even if you mess up You get back up and you don't quit And you continue to take ground For God's kingdom We're going to bring up a friend um, Named Ron Armstrong And Ron uh, I met a few years ago And, uh, and Ron is uh, when, when it comes to not wasting your life He's probably like The best person I know for this He, is, he, is, uh, he did not grow up in the church And he did not um, kind of grow up Like a lot of you Um, But he didn't let his past determine his future, and and currently, I would say out of all the people I know, that he lives the most God-like life in terms of making a difference with his everyday. Not just on a mission trip, not just on a retreat, but just living life day to day. Serving God wherever He is, whether it's a, a gym group or work or volunteering. And so I want to bring him up and he's going to share his story about how he has met God and how God's changed his life and how he is not wasting his life. So, won't you welcome Ron Armstrong
1: to the stage? Appreciate it, Ryan. So, we're going to jump right in if you guys would pray with me and we'll get this thing started, Father. Help me not to get in the way of this message tonight, Lord, and I just ask that you open the hearts of these young men and women and that they would be inspired by my story, God, the story that you've created. Lord, we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I'm going to be real with you guys. Some of you need to stop slapping God in the face. So what what do you think I mean by that? What I mean is some of the things that you're doing at your age, you're slapping the Almighty God in His face. Through my story, I just hope that I give you a sense of hope. What it looks like to come from death to life. The Bible says in John 10.10, the enemy comes to do three three things. Steal, kill, and destroy. He did that my entire life for over 20 years. He He stole me. He killed me. He destroyed me. But now, one of my favorite things in the Bible is when it says, but God. So whether it was suicide, whether it was drugs, whether it was identity, whether it was purpose, whether it was lust, whether it was porn, ident- whatever the case may be, I walked through it. This represented how much of a weight I was carrying of this world. That was my life. My mom and my dad, never I've never seen them together. The only time that I've seen them together is in photographs. Whether I was coming home at the age of 10 or 12 and I'd walk in the door from a school and I'd find my mom laid out on the floor. I would be the one who'd have to call 911. Didn't know if she was dead or alive. My dad left me. He abandoned me. He took off across the country because he had a drug addiction. My mom had a drug addiction. My dad had an alcohol problem. My mom had an alcohol problem. So at a very young age, I, I discovered what it would Looked like to live for the things of this world. I didn't know anything about the church. I didn't know anything about Jesus. I know at the age of 12, I stepped into a closet and I wrapped a tie around the coat rack and tried to hang myself. I didn't have no purpose. I wanted to find a way to escape the life I was living so quick and so fast that I didn't have to deal with it. I know at the age of 15, I found myself involved in my first gang activity. And you're probably thinking, how the heck do you get involved in a gang at 15? I don't know. I know that the enemy was trying to kill, steal, and destroy my life. Introduced to drugs, robbing businesses, stole my first car at 15, arrested at 16. I mean, why would I have to go through the things that I had to go through? Why couldn't I live an ordinary life to find the joy, the peace, the love, the patience, the kindness, the fruits of the Spirit? Why couldn't I find those things at a young age? And I bet some of you tonight are struggling with some kind of thing in life. Maybe it's your parents are divorced and you feel like you don't know what to do. Maybe you tried drugs for the first time, took a sip of alcohol, whatever, looked at something on the internet. I've been there, I know. Coming out of that jail cell at 16, I thought that my life was over. I mean, who gets exposed to heroin, ecstasy, Marijuana, drinking alcohol, spending their life just wasting it away at a very young age. But I thought it was over. The age of 16, after I found out my mom went missing for two and a half years, she took off. I was raised by my aunt and my stepfather, not my parents. Getting the phone call that's saying, hey, we found your mom. I don't know if any of y'all know what that feels like when you get a phone call about somebody passing away in your family. That's what it felt like. I got that phone call saying, Hey, we found your mom, and she is barely alive. We found her on the streets of West Palm Beach, Florida, and she's been beat almost to death. That she has to go through reconstructive surgery. What 16-year-old has to get the news of that? So I head down from where I'm at. I go down to West Palm. I see my mom. I see her hooked up to all these machines. And the thing that she tells me, When she was looking at me, she says, are you okay? And I lied to my mom, and I said, yeah, I'm all right. Everything's great. But on the inside, I was hurt. So watching my mom go through reconstructive surgery, trying to do life my own way, the age of 17, the age of 18, barely passing high school. I couldn't even spell the word that kid just said. I don't even know what that was. (laughs) But 18 really took an effect to my life, I got invited to a party. I guarantee there's people in here that have been invited to those parties, that have been peer pressured. Hey, man, take this. Drink this. It's okay. Your mom won't know. Yeah, your mom may not know, but guess who knows? God knows. So my first, I guess you can say, attempt to try ecstasy, try crack cocaine, smoke a joint. I'm just going to be real with you. That turned into an addiction for 12 to 15 years of my life. At the age of 18, barely passing high school. My second attempt to commit suicide because I thought the weight of the world was taking me over. I was carrying it. What does that look like for a young man like me? So to travel down that road, I remember one night coming back when I was living in Tallahassee, Florida. I had my SUV. I had the money. I was doing the wrong things, the sex before marriage. I'd done it. I know it. But I knew that it's not the life I wanted to live. I remember that night taking the turn off of the wheel and ending up in the ravine and ending up in the back of the helicopter being transported to the trauma center in Tallahassee, Florida, asking myself, what is the purpose of this life? Why would somebody go through so much pain and experience so much hurt for something good to come out of it? I know that when I got away from the town that was encapsulating me by the bad, that I thought I would be free from it. But it only followed me. I opened up a drug house in Tallahassee, Florida. Went back to jail. Got busted down by the feds. If you don't know what the feds are, it's like the top of the top. The door being kicked in. Drugs all over the house. 19 years old. What am I doing? So I tried to run again. So I tried to run to Georgia got involved making a lot of money. And I remember the conversation that I had with one gentleman one time. He said, hey man, I heard you're from this certain town that has all these good drugs. What if you just take a chance and load them up and bring them to me? So at the age of 20, I found myself transporting crack cocaine from the border of Florida all the way across the states of the United States in my trunk. If I look back, if I would have got caught, I would have been spending the rest of my life in prison. I had no identity. I had no purpose. I didn't know anything about the church. But I knew one thing. The phone call that I got when I was 21 years old, when my mom was going through a rehabilitation center because she had a problem, that she told me she walked out on the back porch one night and she found Jesus. I never in my entire life, nobody shared Jesus with me. The church, I knew what the church was, I thought I was dressing up, I, I heard Catholic, the mass, I heard all that stuff. But I didn't want to hear, I was running my own life. So my mom started to, I guess you would say, implement this gospel into my life. But I didn't want to hear it, I just stiffed on it back. So the age of 22, I would travel all across the United States tra- chasing the American dream. The sex, the money, the drugs, the fun, the partying... <clears throat> I already experienced it, so what else could it bring towards me? It was like literally I was dragging this with me, the way of the world. So I knew I had a problem. Never went to rehab, never checked myself, myself into any kind of facility. But it was my third assent- my third attempt to end my life. So I climbed into a closet one night at a very early morning. And I remember looking into the mirror and I just asked myself, what is the purpose again of my life? Why am I here? So I grabbed the sharpest knife that I could find. My dad was away. My mom wasn't in my life. It was just me trying to run my own life. And I remember looking into that mirror and I just began to cut. Just cut my wrist. Cut my face. And I'm standing there looking at myself, dripping of blood. Wondering, asking the question of what What is this about? Three attempts to suicide, none of them worked. I had something stirring inside of me that told me to just keep moving forward. But in the back of my mind, I look at it now, it was exactly what John 10.10 states, that the enemy was trying to kill, steal, and destroy my life. So with my mom poured into my life, I had an opportunity. My dad called me from out of nowhere and just said, Hey, son, I want you to come live with me. That was like Christmas to me, having my father call me and say, Hey, I'm sorry I messed up, but I want to start over. So we walked down that avenue, but it wasn't the avenue he was talking about. We stayed in a one-bedroom trailer. I didn't have any place to sleep. I slept on the floor some nights. I slept in a boat. I slept in a little camper. I just watched my dad use all these drugs and abuse his life with all these women in the room next to me. I couldn't handle it. I had to collect cans just to get lunch money. Who has to go through some kind of life for some great purpose? So I would continue to run away from my parents. I would chase the American dream. And in 2010, I would just give up. I didn't know where to go. had nobody to talk to. had nobody pouring into my life. But I would receive a phone call in 2010 that says, Hey, I've got a job for you in Jacksonville, Florida. Okay? And at the time, I was a construction manager. That's the only thing I knew. I barely passed high school. I tried college. I failed. I, didn't, I couldn't spell worth the crap. I didn't know anything. The only thing I knew was to work with my hands. So in 2010, I made my way from the Carolinas all the way down here to Jacksonville to take a job at the Navy base at Mayport. And I really, I really succeeded. I worked very hard for what, what I was given. But at the same time, I came to Jacksonville with an addiction. I was still partying, I was still going to the local bars at the beach. I was still using drugs. I was traveling all across the states all the way down to South Florida to do things I shouldn't have done. 2010, we're only talking five and a half years ago. So I get here and I start to work and it's the close of 2010. and one man walks up to me at my work, he's my crane operator, and he says, "Mr. Armstrong, I'm not going to talk to you about work today. I just want to invite you to church." So my first instinct was to put up my barriers. I don't want to dress up. I don't want to go to the Mass. I don't want to go listen to a guy that's dressed in a robe. Church was just not my thing, and I didn't want to share my past with anybody. Because who would go through just the horrible experience that I went through? So he kept continuing to pursue me. Week after week after week. If you come back, Mr. Armstrong, I just want to invite you to this one church. I don't know what it is, but there's something different about you. So I gave in. So the close of 2010 was my first experience to come here to Beach United Methodist Church. And what an experience it was. That I dressed up. I looked like I was going to a funeral. And I got here and I just... I was very standoffish. But when I walked in, the people, they the way they greeted me, the way I heard the message, the way the gospel landed on my life changed it for eternity. So at the beginning of 2011... I walk into this church, into that sanctuary, because of a man invited me. Here in my mind, I was conformed to this world. I was. It had me down. That weight, it had it right on my shoulders. So I came in here and I heard a message. It took about two weeks. Go home, try to fix my life, try to do the religion thing. While I was still doing me, it didn't work. I found myself more broken. So when I came back, I believe it was the third week, I heard a message talking about you can hit the reset button. That exactly what it says in Romans 12, too, that your past does not define you. So do not be conformed to the world, but what be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I really grasped that and understood it. So at the end of 2011, after the message was my opportunity to surrender my life to Jesus because the pastor, he spoke to me and he said, you have an opportunity to bring your mess. All of you guys got messes in your life. He said, I could bring my mess and use it for God's message. So that's what I did. I said, okay, God, if you could use all of this stuff you put me through, what are you going to do with it? So in 2011, I surrendered my life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ right here in this church. This is why it's so special for me. Because I know you guys can sit there and you can say, I can handle this. I'm here to tell you, you can. 2012 came, I was baptized in this church. My life began to make this change. I started to ask God, okay, God, what can you do with this? And he, he just began to speak to me. He said, no longer are you rejected. Now you're accepted. So things started to fall into place. I met my beautiful wife. We had a son. I got involved with church. I started to lead youth just like you guys. I started to go out into the community. And I I had this desire inside of my soul. I could not do anything else but tell people about Jesus. So here I just want to... I just want to mention to you guys just a little bit. There's a lot of stuff that I left out. But those are some key points in my life that I really struggle with. My mom is back in my life. She surrendered her life to the lordship of Jesus. Like I told you, I got to baptize her last year in the ocean. My dad, he never came back in my life. He's still out. But guess what? That's not going to stop me. That's not going to stop me for who I am. I'm a changed man in Christ And you guys have an opportunity There are some people in this crowd right now tonight You're following Jesus Keep going The next ones, you know Jesus But you're not following Guess what, in the word The demons even knew Jesus That's a big problem And there's there's the third of y'all Some of y'all don't know Jesus And I'm just telling you this The phone calls that I get from my friends Are not good I got two phone calls just a couple months ago One of my best friends I went to school with He did the same things I did He went to go break into a house He turned the doorknob And somebody shot off Just blew his head off That's that's what kind of stuff that these people are living I got a phone call just a couple months ago A good friend that I was living He didn't know his purpose He didn't know his calling He, He was conformed to this world And I got a call that he committed suicide Don't go there guys Don't be those people. You guys have an opportunity to change the city and the beaches of Jacksonville. Because you have no idea the impact that you can make. So here's how I want to close. So in Ephesians, chapter 2, it says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked past tense. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived, past tense, in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. That was me. But here's my favorite part. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love in which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. So tonight, I want to invite you. I want to invite you right down here. If you're struggling with something, here's what I was struggling with. Lust, pride, drugs, authority, porn, identity, depression, suicide, purpose, alcohol. I mean, being a slave to this world. Guess what? When God split the seas, I walked right through them. He allowed me to. So here when the Bible talks about you. You are a child of God. John chapter 1 verse 12. You are a branch of the true vine and a conduit of of Christ's life. John chapter 15. You are a friend of Jesus. John chapter 15. You have been justified and redeemed. Romans 3. You or your old self was crucified with Christ. You are no longer a slave to sin. You have been set free from the law of sin and death. Romans 8. As a child of God, you are a fellow heir with Christ, Romans 8. You have been accepted by Christ, Romans 8. You are a new creature in Christ, 2 Corinthians. Guys, I don't have it all together. But what I can can tell you is this. The life that I was living and the burden that I was carrying, that's no longer who I am. Following Jesus is not just my job. It's my life until the day that I meet God in eternity I want to make sure that I've done everything that he's called me to do and I show up when he is at his throne and I'm full of sweat I am full of sweat because I know that I've worked, I've done everything I can just like it says in Thessalonians, whatever I do whether in word or deed I will do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ so here's to you guys I'm inviting you. I'm inviting you down front. I want to pray for you. The staff wants to pray for you. Stop carrying the burden of this world. Be set free. And be an example to somebody else that is sitting right next to you. And here's an issue. The person sitting next to you, you don't know if they know Jesus. It's your job. You're going to be held accountable when the day comes. So here, I want to give an invitation to you guys before we close. If you don't mind, bow your heads and just close your eyes. So, if you're in the room without looking at anybody next to you, just take a minute to think. What are you carrying? What are you struggling with? If you're struggling and you really want to be honest with yourself, I'm not going to ask you what you're struggling with. Raise your hand. I see you. I see you. So with your head still bowed, I'm going to tell you this. Half of the room in here has their hands raised. Put your hands down. If you're in the room tonight and you don't know Jesus, or you know that you need to resurrender your life to the Lordship of Jesus and not just to know him, but to follow after him, be bold and raise your hand. I just want to see. Wow. Wow. So I'm going to tell you with your heads bowed, there's probably about 10 or 12 people in the room that have just raised their hand. Those are your brothers and your sisters in Christ. We walk together. So I'm going to pray for us, and if you are led to come down here tonight, we want to pray for you. And then Ryan's going to come back and close us. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for tonight. I thank you that the move of the Holy Spirit never fails. And Jesus, now we are no longer rejected, but we are accepted into the kingdom of God. Because of your son Jesus, God, I thank you for his word. I thank you, Father, for what you've done in my life. And I'm not just holding on to it. I don't want to be prideful, but I want to share it. So, God, I pray that you lead these students down to this altar tonight. That, God, we can pray. And we can pray in the name of Jesus, Father. We give you all the glory in this place. And God's people said, Amen.